Well, aloha, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to PWT Talks NXT. I'm your host. I'm Kelly Wells. You can find me on social media at Spooky Milk. We are talking uh, NXT for February the 26th, 2024. Uh, a very busy show uh, for anybody who tried to listen to us live. Very sorry. We were not able to do uh, a live show for a couple of reasons that are too boring to get into, but uh, but we couldn't do one. But we've got a two-man booth tonight. We're going to talk about a show that was very busy and surprising. Sean Spears wasn't even the most surprising thing in this show because Tony D'Angelo is a main eventer again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I He hasn't even been a singles wrestler yes. for a while, let alone a singles threat. So our main event segment, Ilya's out there. With Mello face to face, I'll give them this: these segments are never surprising. There's only a couple of ways they can go. These contract signings. Uh, this went uh, in direction C, a place we've never gone before. Somebody else came out, and the match was not made, and the champion was left without a match for a PLE light. This is not what's done. Um, you could argue this should not be done, but this was an interesting curveball. I came to the same conclusions as you in the moment, Bruce, that it seems like this is heading for Trick costing the match uh, to Mello, and then us getting our two matches that way. For me, this bizarre choice... Lend some credence to the idea that maybe the three faces thing was supposed to be Okada, and maybe Okada was supposed to face um, mm. Ilya, because Ilya facing Tony D'Angelo is that is not big enough um, for stand and deliver. On the other hand, Trick versus Mello is much larger than stand and deliver it's one of the biggest matches in this brand's history and we'll have no championship attached to it we think um bruce uh it, what the hell man <laughs> uh, yeah that was basically my initial reaction okay first i'm bruce hayes you can find me at the underscore u253 and my report for tonight's torch uh is up and where kelly is talking about my initial reactions that's where he's getting my initial reactions from is my report where i said uh i really just for first like you said it's not even the fact that he hasn't been a singles wrestler i just, I just don't even know when the last time he had a singles match was let alone a singles victory i'm not even looking at the victory i'm just asking about a, a, a singles match and for him to suddenly they just lost their tag team championship and all of a sudden he gets thrust into this main event segment so uh, how they were framing it, it made it seem like his brand of influence was able to make it so that he's in this match. But then if you're using that kind of influence, which is to say generally paying off people and, and being a bit shady, why would you as the manager, you know, Ava, as a general manager, be okay with that and accept those terms? So I thought that was a bit of a step back. Aside from the fact that it's Tony D'Angelo and Ilya Dragunov seemingly at, at San Deliver. The, I guess if you're going to go and play devil's advocate here is they do have a lot of time between Roadblock and Stand and Deliver 
to build up Tony D'Angelo as a legitimate threat to Ilya Dragunov. But even then, I don't think Tony D'Angelo is going to walk out of San and deliver with a championship, right? So this, like you said, they they went. It wasn't even just option C. It was option like Q. They they, they did things that, like you said, they're, they're, the match that was supposed to happen didn't happen. A different match was made, and the champion who was supposed to have a match next week is now no longer on the card. So they, they did a lot of different things here in the main event segment. Carmelo Hayes, I felt like, really played his role well as the, the heel and someone who felt really affronted by the fact that Ava is just letting D'Angelo get, get, get involved with um, into the feud like this. I'm not re- – dragging off to me again, I said last week, 2-1 note. Just needs, I think he needs more layers to his – to his character, at least to how he he um, expresses his character, and then for Roadblock, I just don't see any other option right now than having Trick come back, costing Melo the match against D'Angelo because Dragonov's not even not even on the card anymore. So I don't see D'Angelo beating Hayes straight up in a one-on-one singles match based upon how they've been booked in kayfabe, right? So the only other option would be Mellow wins and then Trick costs him at Sand and the Liver, but the, the match needs to happen at Sand and the Liver, so I'm not sure why that would be the direction they would go. So I just feel like there, there are a lot more questions coming out of this main event segment than there are answers, but... If they do indeed go with Tony D'Angelo winning next week with Trick coming back and costing Melo, it at least gives you those several weeks between – what is it, six weeks between Stand and Deliver – or Stand and, uh, uh, Roadblock and Stand and Deliver to, to develop both stories and build up, especially Tony D'Angelo as, as a threat to Ilya Dragunov. I'm just – I still, I'm just still not sure if this is what they should have done. They probably should, should have just gone with what they originally had planned. I mean, okay, if it was Okada, I understand why they make a pivot here, but I still think they could have just gone with Hayes and Dragunov next week. You have Hayes win while he's celebrating, tricks music hits, he makes his return, then you get the match set up that way, standing delivery, and you have the title. I guess they felt like the title wasn't necessary for this for that that feud, which is true. It they they don't because I guess you could argue both ways. The feud seems bigger than the title, but the reason that Hayes turned on Trick the entire time, or, or what he stated, was that it's because Williams tried to get what was his, what what Hayes sees as rightfully his, and that's the NXT Championship. So, I guess depending on how you look it or how you look at it, you could go either way. But it looks like they're going to go the way of the title is not necessary for that feud. So I'm just. I'm trying to be hopeful because this is the show that we cover, the show that we do reports on, and Stand, Stand and Deliver is the biggest show of the year. But again, I'm just not – as of now, I'm not I'm not as optimistic about the path that this is going as what, what they could have done had they just stuck with what they had with the singles match next week. You know, it's funny. They, they announced Kabuki Warriors versus Lyra and Tatum. And you and I are both talking offline like, oh, my job of recapping just got harder. (laughs) And then this match changes from Hayes to D'Angelo. And I'm like, well, now it just got a lot easier. So Uh, it's going to be a way different type of. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That's just going to be like. 
uh, I don't know. I don't know what that match is going to do to me. I'm not sure. Um, I will say that Dijak, since we've gone uh, online here, he tweeted out, uh, be right back. I'm going to watch some Dean Ambrose tapes <laughs> uh, <laughs> in relation to the Asylum match. Uh, oh, Dijak is a good follow on the old Twitter machine. Um Let's talk main-ish event. Uh, let's Last match. Let's just call it that, uh, because the main event segment was what we just talked about. Charlie Dempsey versus Noam Dar for the Heritage Cup. Uh, I thought this was going to be Miles Bourne based on body language as No Quarter Catch crew walked to the ring. But then they got to the ring, and it was Dempsey who stood forward as the others fell back. And I went from this is an easy defense to, oh, I don't know. Um, Dempsey might actually win this, and indeed he did. He is exactly the kind of guy who is tailor-made for this championship. But, but, Bruce, at the end, Vic said, uh, a big win for the new champion, or should I say champions. So I think they're going free bird rule with this, or catch clause. I think, I think they're, I think they're all the champion. And um, and I'd rather just see Charlie Dempsey defend this because what does somebody gain if it's, let's say, Miles Bourne, who loses this championship? Um, I don't know, but it could be. It's hard to imagine this championship not just going right back to Noam Dar because that he's just he's so tied to it. Um so until uh, until something else happens, I'm going to assume that's d- the direction. But uh, Dempsey gets a real early fall in the first round. Second round, no falls. This was on split screen. Third round, no falls. Fourth one is goes to Noam Dar in the fifth. Dempsey uh, finally uses the uh, the greater numbers metaphor. Is, they're heels ish, I think, but. They're so well-liked now, I don't know how much longer they're going to be booked as heels, even. Because they're buffoons, also. I mean, and Dar is a complete <laughs> buffoon. And Mensa is, is kind of a buffoon. Uh, Lash and Jakara aren't really buffoons. They're, um, they're more grounding for the dudes. But, uh, but they still get goofy when the time calls for it. But anyway, Dempsey wins with a real, real nice-looking double underhook suplex, uh, was it? Uh, yes. And, a um, dragon. A dra- yes, indeed, a dragon suplex. So, oh, real, real pretty. And I thought, that won't finish, but it should. And then it finished. So, Charlie Dempsey, <laughs> your new Heritage Cup champion, Bruce. Yeah, this was, to me, the best match of the night. Really hard-hitting. I mean, by the start of the third round, their faces, their bodies are all red. They were hitting each other very, very stiffly. And uh, the first round was kind of a the early bits of the first round, I guess, were a bit of a a bit of a pain to cover because it was just hold, hold, counter, reversal, hold, counter, reversal, all these different things, right? So, uh, which I mean, you would expect for this kind of a match, especially between these two, who their pedigree, you know, you know, their their uh, well, Dempsey has pedigree, and then Dar. And Dempsey both having their experience in NXT UK and just in UK wrestling uh, in general. So I, I thought this was a good match. I really, really liked that 
bridge, the, the backslide bridge that Dempsey used to get that first pin, whatever he did, that was really unique, something I haven't seen before, and I really just thought it was a nice touch, a, a unique touch for him because he, he's one of those where even though he's very technical, it's at a very unorthodox style. And something like that, I think, adds a bit to that uh, flavor, that taste you get from Charlie Dempsey. So I really like that. Dar here was good. Uh, and as you said, they're probably going to be received more as faces now, right? So it doesn't surprise me that they finally lose it when they have a numbers disadvantage because for so long, what has kept the Heritage Cup in Noam Dar's hands? The fact that they had a numbers advantage. So uh, the only negative I see with that is that to me, this means that we're going to continue to see the numbers game play a role in Heritage Cup matches instead of just being straight up one or uh, a clean finish here or there and just going with that. But Okay, it's kind of been the precedent's kind of been set stateside because of metaphor. I think no quarter catch crew is more serious, stable to the point that they really wouldn't need to do that kind of stuff. But I guess we'll see moving forward. You're probably right on the catch clause. I didn't catch um, well, a lot of catch there. I didn't hear Joseph say that because I was in the throes of doing the the report. But if they do go that way, I, I think you're right. It just doesn't make sense because I mean. If I have to go on the on the totem pole or at, on the the rungs right now, it'd be you know Dempsey first, Gulak second, Bourne third, and Kemp first. Like if you if you fought Kemp and beat him, you gotta really feel like you accomplished much when the person that actually won it was Charlie Dempsey, and is probably the best. I mean, him and Gulak are are the two best wrestlers there, right? So I don't know if the the catch clause is the best thing here, even though it's what got them into this point to begin with. But I do see it continuing. Uh, my biggest question coming out of this is what does this mean for metaphor as a whole? Because their entire identity for so you know, their entire existence has been built around not just Noam Dar, but making sure he has the Heritage Cup. So if they don't go back to him, if it does stay with no quarter catch crew, what are they gonna do? Are they gonna split up? Are they gonna turn face and go after the tag team championship? Is Jakara or Lash gonna go after Lyra or whoever becomes women's champion? Because I'm not sure if there's been anything set in the entire time Metaphor has been a stable to let us know what their aspirations are aside from keeping that Heritage Cup with Noam Dar. So I, I kind of want to see the next evolution in this group. If there is a next evolution, maybe they've run their course. But if there is more to go with them, I want to see them go. I want to see them evolve beyond the, the Heritage Cup and go to something a bit more, become a bit more serious and have their own maybe state their own aspirations, but still be there to support each other as they have been, instead of just being so singularly focused on Noam Dar and the Heritage Cup. In about the middle of the show, we uh, we talked to Lyra Valkyria. She's gotten a lot of these talk segments and is uh, pretty good in them um, these days. My wife was impressed with her, and my wife somehow, she she listens to stuff sometimes, when she's most of the time, when she's in the room with me. This time she just kind of paid more attention to the show and um, and was digging Lyra. Uh, she had her scene with Tatum Paxley, who looked like she just raided the thrift store. Um, and she uh, it was announced that next week they will face the Kabuki Warriors. Ridge Holland, he's he's just such a wet blanket. Um, seems like he's a heel, but he got healed on. Uh, Such man move. Yeah, yeah, it, it was. Um, listen to me, he said, throwing his arms out like he owned the place. Uh, started talking about his feelings and such. And 
Three Faces guy showed up. I was still holding out for the character Manny Faces from He-Man, uh, but unfortunately it was not to be. It was it was Sean Spears. Did anyone <laughs> guess this? Um, and then no, no. And when Vic said Sean Spears, that mostly got swallowed up because the crowd was so busy chanting "Holy shit." And uh, USA was so busy making sure that people didn't hear naughty words that um, that we kind of missed. And I think you missed the first time around that they're calling him Sean Spears. Like all the hints were there. He's out there using the chair, the swagger, the the version of him that is that is Sean Spears. He wasn't doing the 10 gimmick at all. Um, chairman. Yeah, he's he's the chairman. So I, I guess continuing his thing and uh, and we'll see where he heads. I, I don't know that I knew for 100 percent sure that he's gone because AEW guys will go so long without being used. You just you never know if they're gone. Um, and, and I don't spend a lot of time looking at uh, contract situations, so. So this was genuinely surprising to me because I did not know, like I knew when negotiations started happening, I didn't know for sure that he was headed to this company. So uh, they don't all slip by me, but this one did. And uh, then later on, he said that the pain that Ridge Holland feels is the truth. See you all next week at Roadblock. And of course he gets cheered, even though I think... He's playing a heel, but I think Ridge is playing a heel, too. So, Bruce, I guess we'll find Ridge. out together. Well, Ridge is trying to play something. I'm not sure if he succeeded at anything, but I just, like, he walked out, and I tweet, tweeted Ridge, like, like you know, F Ridge. Literally, nobody cares. Literally, no one cares. And it was add on to the fact that he decided to interrupt two women out there doing their own thing and he just couldn't mind his own business. He just had to choose that time of all times to come out there and say his thing. Uh, I, look, um, I'll go back to, to Lyra and, and Tatum first. So last week when Valkyria told Paxley that she, uh, she had a present for her after, uh, or if she could, if she could abide by Lyra or Valkyria's wishes that she'd have a present for her. I speculated, Oh, it's going to be some kind of title match. Watch. I thought it was going to be for Lyra's championship, but instead we get the tag team championship, which makes more sense as a present to someone who's devoted to you. They probably wouldn't want to see the title taken off of you when they spent so long trying to keep the title on you. That, you know, this does make a lot of sense. And I think the best part is, of course, we get to see two of the most dominant women's champions in NXT history come back and... They're going to get their flowers, of course, because the crowd is going to eat them up. The crowd's just going to cheer, and, and they're probably going to get the biggest pop of the night. Very well-deserved. Um, and then this iteration of them is just so much more vicious than we've seen both of them in the past that I think the match itself is going to surprise some people because we know Valkyria can go. I, do, I have discussed that I feel like her title reign has been a bit bland, but I feel like a match like this with people – on the opposite side of her, the, the caliber and the, the style of Asuka and Kairi saying she's going to have to bring a different gear out of her, right? And so I think it'll be a fun match. Uh, they're not going to win, of course. The Kubuki Warriors will, will still retain. 
but it'll be fun. I can't wait to see their entrance just because, I mean, Asuka's entrance every time, Kairi saying every time, but seeing them together just come out back in NXT, the nostalgia. I mean, you just went through eight years back with Asuka's reigns and Asuka's reign, undefeated streak, I should say, and you're you're about to get to Kyrie Sane's uh, appearing on NXT, I think, soon. So it's just uh, it's hitting a lot of the nostalgia buttons as well, of course, because of how long we've been consuming this product and also covering the product. But I just feel like it's gonna be a nice bit of fan service for next week, especially when you took away Carmelo versus. Ilya, right? And you're having a set Hayes versus D'Angelo. Now, okay, you might be the biggest D'Angelo fan, but you, you can't argue against the fact that it's not as big of a match as Hayes versus Dragunov would be. So, uh, moving on to Ridge and Sean Spears, Ty Dillinger, just man, talk about someone you are, you know you just went through on, on eight years back again was, was Ty Dillinger, and he was just so bland. And then he found something with the perfect 10 gimmick, but everyone knew there was a shelf life to that. There was a ceiling for that. And he probably overstayed that welcome with that, with that, uh, with that character. But he never really had any charisma. I felt like to to really embody characters. And even tonight, like okay, he soaked it in. But then I didn't really feel much from his his promo as he left. He just felt kind of snarky. Okay, cool. But I still am not sure what to think. What I'm supposed to think about Sean Spears, right? Um, as you said, I, I'm. Guessing he's playing the heel. He did attack a guy with a chair from behind, after all. But Ridge is seemingly also trying to, uh, seemingly also a heel who's trying to be a face. I, it's just a lot of stuff going on. So my, the only positive I see with Spears be, coming back and being the three faces guy is that at least he is slotted where he should be, and that is to the the under and mid card and and nowhere higher. So it's not like they're bringing someone in and he's jumping right into facing Ilya or Melo or he's facing Femi or something like that, which, I mean, we'll get to later because of who's, fa- who's got to face Femi next, but I-, I feel like at least he's not over-slotted as, as he could have been with sort of this kind of hype coming in with this new character. He must just be really, really well-liked behind the scenes. He must be <laughs> yeah. over with the boys. And I've heard that he's extremely well-liked. So cool to hear, you know, good things happen for one of the good guys. Um, I mean, I'm pretty sure that the reason he had that, you know, when AEW started had that push was because, or at least all the prominence on TV was because he's really good friends with Cody. So, and I think Cody tweeted something about, you know, 10 or perfect 10 tonight after that happened. So I think it, there's, there's also that bit of, you know, he has, Nepotism always plays a role in every industry, especially professional wrestling. All right. Such a busy show. I don't really even know what to do next. Um, so let's just throw a dart and uh, and land on <laughs> Gigi Dolan versus Jada Parker. Oh. Um, okay. So, ladies, they were in this show. Uh, there was a scene earlier where... Where was this? No. Ariana. Ariana wants to end fighting in NXT. That's hilarious to me. This is absolutely hilarious to me. Um, we got hype for the Kabuki, Kabuki Warriors. Lyra and Tatum talked about their chance. Jada said they were going to get slaughtered. Ariana Grace wanted to break this up because fighting is only normal until we change it. 
I have talked about my Dice Wrestling Federation that I ran as a young guy. Uh, my friend Life and I did it together for a while, and we did a really, really dumb storyline where there was a character named Vlad who was a pacifist, and he wanted Tandal fighting in the company. And he unexpected, unexpectedly won the match where the stipulation was that there could be no more matches if he won. And so we did like a couple of shows where the wrestlers just went out to the ring and played board games. We wrote all that. Um, that is what I expect to see at the end of this. Uh, I want Ariana Grace um, playing Fun Dead. Fun Dead. Oh, very good. I was about. I was trying to choose one. Uh, yeah, I want Ariana Grace to just know about Fun Dead. That would make me happy. <laughs> um, so anyway. Gigi Dolan versus Jada Parker is just a bit later in the show. Jada wins this one when Ariana Grace comes to ringside, steps on the apron, tries to break up the the fight, and Dolan gets distracted, and Grace is saying, we need to come together. Uh, Actually, she says that after the match is over. She realizes she has cost Gigi Dolan the match, but then she says, we need to come together. What a weird place Gigi Dolan finds herself in. But then again, her her offense is still it, it's I don't know why it's not progressing because I thought she'd be well ahead of a lot of the people she came in with and that just just hasn't happened and and it's very strange. Uh, Ariana Grace is hilarious and and she's a gift uh, and Jada is just. Cool. She's so cool. I'm going to keep saying that until you're sick of hearing it, but she is. And uh, and she wins this one. Does does Gigi get booked to beat anyone at this point? Chris. I mean, you're not the only one who thought she would be booked higher than some of the other women ahead of her right now because she had vignettes run behind her. She had a whole character change coming behind her. They were ready to book her as a big baby face. And then the matches just went nowhere. And because the matches went nowhere, the crowd, as much as they like her as a person, which, yeah, I get that, they just couldn't get behind her as the wrestler because it just seems like someone who's still working out the, not the basics, but is still trying to find out their style, right? And that came through a bit here. It it wasn't the smoothest of matches, Um, but Jada Parker keeps coming along. And for me, what I really like is that moving forward for Jada Parker, she's still green, of course. But the thing that's going to serve her the best is that she just has such confidence about her, both in her character and even in the ring, regardless of how inexperienced she is. And that confidence is going to serve her well moving forward. And I feel like because of that confidence, she's also going to progress at a more rapid pace than some others, right? So, uh, it, to me, we can get more Jada Parker on TV. I'm fine with that. Uh, Ariana Grace, hilarious. This whole character, this trying to stop fighting and this campaign thing, kind of reminds me of, of basically a, a funny version of old CJ Parker. And instead of fighting for uh, environmental justice, she's fighting to end fight. She's fighting to end fighting with an NXT 
as a first response or as the natural response. Lyra said something about we're in NXT fighting is what we do or something like that. So it's pretty funny. And I think the fact that after the match, he stayed around and specifically said that to uh, to Gigi Dolan about having to stick together. I wonder if they're going to become a tag team because I know they wanted her to be a singles baby face, but Gigi Dolan's best time in NXT undoubtedly was when she was in a tag team. And while JC Jane has seemingly progressed as a singles wrestler, she's still more or less in a tag team right now or in a little tag team stable. I mean, they might have added two more tonight, but it seems like, and I've said this before, there are wrestlers who are more suited to be singles wrestlers, and there are wrestlers who are more suited to be tag team wrestlers. That's not a knock on anybody. It's just how some things are. So the fact that the fact that she might be a better tag team wrestler, again, is not a knock against her. And maybe having her team with Ariana Grace is a way to both get them on TV regularly and for them to both improve alongside each other and have someone to work with consistently. Um, and go, and you know, that's how they both gain more confidence in the ring. That's how they both, um, become people that can be relied upon. I don't know. I'm just trying to, trying to find the, the silver lining here for DD Dolan because uh, it just doesn't seem like, those vignettes seem like so long ago now, even though I feel like they were maybe a year ago, less than a year ago. I, I'm not not quite sure because time is, is weird now. But I hope for her sake that this does work out for both of them if it does go that route because the fans do like her. She does have something. So, um, But if it doesn't, then uh, yeah, I'm not sure where she goes from here. We're talking ladies, so let's talk the opener. Kehlani Jordan versus Kiana James with Izzy, Dame, and Toe. Um, Kiana wins with a cheating. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't remember how it happened, uh, but it, it did. Uh, she hit what what uh, Joseph called the deal breaker, which is basically Mia Yim's protect your neck, that little falling oh, yep. with knee the to the thing. neck thing. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, so there you go. Uh, Kalani Jordan, a woman desperately in need of some victories, but, uh, uh-huh. but who's that person? Because it only works for Sami Zayn because he can keep putting himself over on the mic. She on the mic is a work in progress. So you gotta do some of this, putting her over in the ring. Um, after that, we got a little bit of, uh, stuff about last week's, issues with lash and they talked about lash stepping up and then we talked about roxy also uh getting mad about losing her chance that's what set up the match between her and jakara jackson which led into the match with roxanne perez and jakara jackson we're just gonna knock both these women's matches out right here um because they were short ish uh jakara's it's her first singles match and it's not hard to see why her her bumps were a little tentative, I'll say. Um, didn't love the way she, anytime she had to take a bump, it was a little tentative. Uh, coming back from injury, you're going to have some of that, especially when it's somebody who has not been in the business for a really long time. I really want her to be good at this because I want to be able to keep seeing her. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess I guess we'll find out there. 
So Roxy wins that. After that, we get the big scene with Thea Hale, J.C. Jane, and Jasmine Nix. And uh, they talked about how the old Thea Hale was a loser. They just went at the old Thea Hale, uh, J.C. especially, who's like, no, no, not now. I mean, the old Thea Hale was a loser. Uh, Really cutting her down here, um, really suggesting that old, excitable Thea Hale's coming back. Uh, because he's, she scared off Riley Osborne because he liked the old Thea Hale. Um, and yeah, then James and Dame got into this scene too because they just can't stop being on my screen. So, um, women, they were all over the show, Bruce. Yeah, so I'll start with the first match, which was Jordan versus James. And I thought it was a good match. I mean, right now with these two, you're, you're not going to get a bad match from these two, especially against each other, right? And, my okay, the interference. Yes, it's got it, it's NXT. That's gonna happen a lot, especially if there's on the outside. It's, they just can't help themselves with the interference. I I do feel like they tried. They did that to give Kalani Jordan a bit of of a save here, as you said. She she's really in need of victories. But now I could be wrong, and I could be could be just saying a lot of BS here. But I feel like Kalani Jordan really might be there how do i put this okay i I wrote it in my report but i want to make sure i articulate this well i don't feel like the women's division has had a baby face to the level of bailey in nxt since bailey's run right so i feel like kalani jordan has that potential and again i could be talking out of my ass here but to me the fans really love her. She has a very winnable style in terms of, of getting people over. She's really progressing quickly in the ring. She's getting better on the mic. Bailey at first on the mic was was uh, was not the best. I mean, she's better than Sasha Banks at first, but that's not a high bar. I, I just feel like if there's anyone that – because we have to remember, Rhea Ripley wasn't really accepted as a face in NXT until toward the end. And Bianca Belair was pretty much accepted as as a heel, was received as a heel by the fans for a long time in NXT as well. Jordan has the makings to me of that one big baby face they can finally get behind. And I think it's who they wanted Roxanne to be, who they really was trying to get Lyra Valkyria to be with the the push or the rub from, from Becky Lynch. But I think that person is Kalani Jordan. Now, at the rate at which people are getting moved to Raw and SmackDown these days, that's probably not as feasible as it would have been, say, even two or three years ago. But if she is someone who stays in NXT for a bit, even two years, I feel like she might have that, – that she could be that anchor, that, that real big baby face that could garner all those, those fans and it could – especially those young girls that really got behind Bailey and can have those main events built around her, have those PLEs built around her. She, to me, has that kind of potential. I know that that they see a lot of potential in her, uh, but I think that's more down the line. But I really think that she can be a strong, strong babyface champion, almost to the level, or if not the level, of Hugger Bailey in NXT. And part of me really wants to see that because we really, again, I don't think we've really had that in the women's division for such a long time. And that is the division that really made, you know, gave NXT their identity what drew people to the brand to the show and if we can get back to that kind of a situation i'd really really like that but again that is something that 
I'm not sure if I'm in the minority or if that's something that people are actually discussing. So moving on, we go to uh, Gigi Dolan and – or not Gigi Dolan, sorry, Jakara Jackson and Roxanne Perez. So, yeah, you can see it's not just that the bumps are hesitant, but with Jakara Jackson, it felt like the offense they had her run today was pretty pretty basic. And I get that. Coming back from injury, um, you haven't really had many singles matches, if, if any, on NXT before. But they are putting her out there, so they must be seeing improvement, and there is potential with her. I do also think that it's difficult that not only is your first singles match that at least coming back from injury and that I can remember her having is against Roxanne Perez and not just Roxanne Perez, but a Roxanne Perez whose style now and her character now is predicated on being more of a heel on being more stiff and being more snug. And you saw tonight, she held the cross face after the bell again and Jackson sold it more that she was pissed off that Perez held onto it longer than she was actually hurt from the, the uh, submission attempt. So I think there were some some factors here that made it more difficult for Jakara Jackson in her first match back. But with those factors being said, I don't think, you know, this wasn't a bad match. This wasn't the best showing for Jakara Jackson, but it wasn't a bad showing. Um, you could see the potential. You could see what she can improve upon, but also where she has some, some positives. Great character work, for example. Um, but, again, coming up against this, this Roxanne Perez, I think, made it a little more difficult. And for Perez, you go uh, at the end after Sean Spears said his thing in the, in the uh, parking lot, Perez stormed out. And as they tried to ask her a question, she said, no questions, no questions. So even though the fans tonight, that's what I should have said, the fans received Roxanne Perez as a face all night. They cheered for her. They clapped for her. Even after she held the cross face after the bell, they cheered for her. No matter what they do, it feels I, – I, I don't know. This is a – this is, feels, feels like a one-off thing because I feel like she was getting booed the past couple of weeks uh, with her character. So I hope they don't make a change in terms of – then again, the past couple of weeks were, ta- were tape shows, weren't they? Huh, so they could have – all right. Well, they should keep going with her as a heel because I like what they're doing with her, and it's given her a, a refresh. It's made her feel different and more uh, – not endearing, but more relatable – because of the things that have made her mad, how they come about, and how she's reacting to them. So I want to see her continuing, as I said last week. I want to see her be the one to take the title off Lara Valkyria. And then lastly, that whole J.C. Jane, Desmond Nix, Jasmine Nix, which is a pain in the ass to type, Thea Hale, and then... Kiana James, Izzy Dame. Oh my gosh. Uh, you don't put the Y, the N, the Z. Just, you don't put them. Okay. So they really went hard at the word loser here. They probably said it as many times as Kevin Durant said leadership in his inter- post game interview the other night <laughs> to troll Charles Barkley. It, you know, just loser, loser, loser. Oh, Chase and Hudson, loser, loser this, loser that. Riley Osborne, loser. You're a loser. Okay. And then um, Dame and. And and uh, James come over because earlier Hale has said, well, Fallon told me, and JC Jane goes, Fallon Henley, you shouldn't be, you know, that's the last person you should be getting advice from. And then when James came over, Jane mentioned that, and they both just kind of found friendship in the fact that they both think Fallon Henley is an idiot kind of thing, right? So while my initial prediction was that we're getting Henley and Hale versus... Jane and Nix, I'm thinking we're actually going to get 
Henley and Hale versus uh, Jane and Kiana James. Because I'm not sure if Jasmine Nix is at a point yet where they're confident enough in her in-ring abilities. I haven't seen her yet. But just based on how this went tonight, that's where I think they're going. Well, all right. Yes, it is. It's a busy bunch of stuff. Um, and both of those women are in tag teams. But they'd be making another makeshift tag team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it seems like this is very quickly undoing the calendar storyline. Like, J.C. Jane saves Chase U and then immediately reminds everybody she's a heel. And then they wonder why Chase U is not necessarily getting cheered. Let's talk tag team division. Inofe and Blade face Gallows and Anderson. Inofe and Blade, total lame ducks in this match, of course. Gallows and Anderson are a big, big priority on the brand as of now. Um, of note, Vic kept saying just Malik and Idris. Like, would not say their last names, just said Malik and Idris for them when he said them together and when he said them uh, just one of the names, just first names. Drove me crazy, sounded really dumb, made him sound dumb. Um, And uh, so it's obviously a mandate. He's doing it because he has to. He's been asked to try it on, see how it sounds, see how it feels. Uh, Vic, I'm telling you right now, you tell them it sucked. Tell them that it wasn't fun to say, and you will stop saying first names only and robbing them of their cool last names. Uh, after the match, Chase U shows up and reminds Gallows Anderson that they're number one contenders. Axiom and Nathan Fraser remind them that they keep losing matches, but they want championship matches. Um, and then the champions, Braun Breaker and Baron Corbin, jovially watch this whole thing. Later on, there's a scene between Gallows and Anderson and Corbin and Breaker that is, of course, goofy characters being goofy. Um, uh, Corbin trying to goad Breaker into saying that Corbin is the greatest. Uh, Silly stuff, Um, but (laughs) very funny that we've got a match next week, a tag team championship match, and it is a complete afterthought. Just a to- they're not even pretending it's a big deal because they're they're just asking us to be like, hey, set aside your brain space here to get excited for this tag team match because Chase U aren't doing anything. So, but what a great troll it would be if Chase U beat them <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> for whatever and then. Gallows and Anderson lose their minds and they still want to fight these guys. That would actually be hilarious. Um, don't love the hot potatoing of championships in general, but I feel like that would be justified. Uh, tag team division. So I think uh, the whole Nathan Fraser, uh, all the good brothers and, and all that, well, you, I think you forgot to mention that when Fraser and Axiom came out, Fraser mentioned the fact that, hey, at least LWL, they'll, they'll attack you, you know, from in front you know, to your face. And then, of course, LWL attacks the Good Brothers from behind with dropkicks from the top rope. So I thought that was kind of funny and a bit of a uh, – I don't know if, if that was ad-lib or if that was supposed to – or if that was scripted to be said that way. But it it did happen, and it was – yeah, it was – it was uh, to me, that was the best part of the segment. I feel like – you know, Fraser and Axiom, especially Fraser, 
just coming off so, so heel-like with how they're demanding or coming out saying we are the ones. And like like you said, they keep losing matches. So how are they supposed to be the ones that get the next title shot? I guess it didn't matter for Tony D'Angelo. He's going right into the number one contendership. But uh, Chase U being in the title match next week, I I almost forgot that they had won the, the number one contendership a week or two ago until that graphic happened because I was like, oh yeah, we're definitely getting a fatal four right now with these, you know, these four teams or something, you know. Um, and the fact that on this PLE light, one of your title matches is just so obviously. I mean, unless they pull the swerve, but it's so obviously one that is not meant for Chase U to win. I feel like is a disservice to both teams involved, champion and the challenger, because look, they might have a good match, but it just seems like it doesn't belong on this show. But then again, a D'Angelo Dragunov match is something that wouldn't belong on Standard Deliver or looking like we're going to get that at Stand and Deliver. So what do I know, right? Um, the Good Brothers versus Inofe and Blade match itself was a pretty good match, uh, as you would might expect with the Good Brothers versus a team that's more speedy. It wasn't necessarily the most smoothest match in the beginning, but it ended up turning out into a pretty good match. I think people forget, as you said last week, Carl Anderson, former G1 finalist, out there hitting that beautiful spine buster he's been hitting for so many years. The thing with Inofe and Blade and their last names not being said, the fact that it was so so uh, persistent from Vic leads me to believe that we might be getting another one of those name changes, even though Vince is gone, where we're dropping a first or last name, or it looks like we're dropping the last name for both of them, even though Idris Inofe is a dope and unique name to the point that I don't think you need to drop either. And then Malik Blade. Malik, okay, fine, but it just sounds better with Malik Blade. So it, it, it is a bit strange that that an announcer would only refer to them by their first name when you're always taught that you need to refer to them by their last names. Uh, so that aside, I feel like the tag team division right now in NXT, after not being strong for a while, especially when you had that six-month reign or whatever with the D'Angelo family and they only defended two or three times, is now looking to be in a spot where it's re there's a reascension coming with the tag team division led somehow by the makeshift team of Ron Breaker and as Gallo said tonight, comedian Corbin. So that interaction between the, the two teams, of course, was, was pretty, pretty uh, entertaining and Breaker nearly saying that Corbin did uh, won the titles all by himself and how they just kind of went at each other, needled each other. But, I'm not, I just, I, how do I put this? Could the spot that the Good Brothers are in right now have been filled by a team that is both, or well, either from NXT right now or has more of a connection to NXT than the Good Brothers do? Um, and if the answer is yes, and I don't think the Good Brothers should be in this position, because if your whole thing is, well, look, we're paying them, they need to be on TV somewhere, that's your job to do on Raw or SmackDown, not necessarily on NXT, where they don't... Yeah. I, I think it's possible they're there to bring in Tama Tonga. 
Well, okay, so that was yes, his signing was was confirmed today. This is a signing I've been waiting on for years, by the way. The, the, I've been waiting for this headline, Tama Tonga signed to WWE for years. So, if that is the case, cool. Is Tama Tonga somebody you see as needing to go to NXT? I don't, because I've been watching his stuff for a long, <laughs> long time. Um, and he does have a ready-made story. Um, there's There are places where they can put him. He can be fast-tracked. Uh, are there just so many pieces of that story that he gets lost in the shuffle? Good question there. Um, very weird to me to be talking about this when I literally just days ago watched his farewell matches. Um, uh, yeah, last one was just like two days ago. <laughs> a tag, a tag that he was in. Um, but oh boy, okay, now I'm now I'm feeling weird because <laughs> I've been watching him there. He has been there since I started watching um, New Japan, and now he's not there anymore. And he was a big part of it. And the last year and a half, two years, was the biggest push he ever got. He won his block in G1 last year. Like, they, by beating champion Jay White and uh, and got a championship match against Jay White like a month later. Um, but, yes, I, I'm off the rails now. Forgot what I was talking about because I got sad. And, well... Um, <laughs> <laughs> I brought up why the Good Brothers are there, and you, you said probably maybe to bring in Tama Tonga. They have that connection, of course, with right. uh, with Bullet Club and everything. I and Tama Tonga, if I remember correctly, was also one of the characters from New Japan that was in the Tiger Mask uh, anime reboot from like a decade ago, along with Okada and I think Suzuki. And Suzuki was in One Piece and things like that. So Tama Tonga does have you know a, a footprint and the connections i just feel like he has so much charisma and so much talent already that the one thing that they maybe want to work on with him could be pacing could be because it's a little different from new japan to wwe but i just feel like he's at a level where he'd be like okada to go to nxt probably would be great would be awesome for nxt be great for us but it's not necessarily what i think would serve them best. And I just need them to not treat Tama Tonga like AEW has treated Jay White because that is someone I thought was a no doubt you can't miss. He's got to be a star. And and they've just uh, – this whole thing with BCG and, and the Bang Bang Gang is just I, – I, I, I'm, 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 I, look, I'm not even a Jay White fan, but let's just hope that's not what happens to Tama Tonga when he comes to WWE. If Tama Tonga just goes there and soars almost immediately, Jay White's going to have to be like, what was I thinking? Um, yeah. And and for me, at this point, people like Okada going there, my genuine response is, what are you thinking? It, it really is. Um, because someone's going to get pushed, but nobody's going to get pushed all the time. Um I don't know. I I'm very worried about Okada, but that's mm-hmm. not this um that's not this podcast. Luca Crucifino versus Dijak. Uh yeah. Uh I was in in my first year of acting, there was a guy, this guy Tim, who thought 
You know, if yelling once in a scene is really effective, what if I yell every line all the way through this scene? He did a monologue. Did Tim end up becoming Wardlow? Uh, <laughs> he, he was every wrestler in the 80s plus Wardlow. Um, yeah, uh, uh, minus, minus Jake the Snake. But he, Tim, he's not acting anymore. Um, let me shock you right there. But uh, he he did a very long, we needed to do a sub four minute monologue. He did something from The Iceman Cometh that was about 13 minutes long. <laughs> and he yelled the entire thing. Uh, it, it was the funniest thing ever. I made contact across the room with Ben, who was already one of my best friends in the theater department. I should not have done this because then we had a hard time not cracking up the whole time. And the professor noticed and he was like, and afterwards he's like, I know that Tim sucked, but (laughs) (laughs) he was very, very frank. He was like, there's no way around. Like we all saw the same thing. He's like, I wanted to stop him. But you guys are all freshmen, and I got to let it play out and see if he was going to do anything else. I only say this because Luca went in there, and he did all his... It really Mm -hmm. seemed like he needed to hit everything. Now, it's not a perfect comparison, and mostly I just wanted to talk about this funny thing that Tim did. Because Luca went in there, and he did it well. Um, He wasn't out there blowing anything. He was just... He was like, okay, if I can do a good, well-paced match in 350, in 3.30, whatever it was, then what if I just did everything I've ever learned in 3.30? So there's that. Um, Dijak beats him because Dijak's got to beat low-level stuff so he can give something to the uh, upper mid-carders that he always loses to. Um, And then later on, Joe Gacy showed up with a hidden camera. Could he be NXT Anonymous? Does NXT Anonymous <laughs> still exist? You may never find out. Um, and Gacy got pretty close, pretty close to Dijak and Ava before they realized, oh, we have peripheral vision and there's a person three feet away from us. Um, <laughs> I'm a little riled about this part. It was a little silly. Uh but really, I'm mostly riled because I have to recap an asylum match next week, uh, Bruce. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, what I wrote about this match was that it was the fastest 327 we've seen in, in NXT in a, in a bit of time. Because, wow, as you said, Crucifino looked like, I don't know if he felt like he had to get everything out there or he was like, okay, this might be my only chance. Or no, no, so that goes to that. Or if he just felt like, you know what, I'm just gonna go fast because I'm gonna go fast and, and make my mark that way. Which, okay, but again, pacing. You, you can't. You're not gonna make it far. You're not gonna make it long in matches. You're not gonna make it long in a career if you're going full out for 327 the entire time, including including on your bump taking. That's just not gonna work for anybody, right? So while I was impressed with some of the of the things that Christophina was able to do in the match tonight. And I do appreciate Dijak selling for Christophino's offense. He does need to look again. Maybe it's just the virtue of the match he was in, but yeah, that pacing was just not great and it's not going to serve him well. If he continues to be that quick 
moving forward. Now, for Dijak, great. He finally, you know, he's winning matches. That's good. Um, this whole Asylum match thing, they've made Gacy into somebody who doesn't need to win to remain relevant and to also... Um, he won't lose anything if he's the one to, to actually lose the match on next Tuesday. But Dijak has been in a spot that we've been discussing for a long time where he keeps losing these feuds, these big matches, and he needs to be in a spot to win. I'm still not sure if they're going to have him win, though, because of how they've been building Gacy and sort of the more prominence they've been giving him. Dijak has been someone that they have seen, takes losses, and is just fine. He comes back, and he has hard-hitting matches, and that's kind of his virtue, I, you know, from all these losses he's generally, generally suffering from. It also, I think, works in his favor that people that he's feuded with, like Eddie Thorpe, are the ones who have been injured while he's the one who's still continuing to be on NXT TV and continue to have matches. I think Dijak should be the one to emerge victorious, but because it's an asylum match and the person who's been acting like they need to be more asylumed is Joe Gacy, I want, I'm, I'm thinking they actually have Gacy as the one they go over next week, um, which... It'd be interesting to see how they would build from there. Uh, and yeah, you're right. How, how did it take them that long to realize that Gacy was right next to them? Just literally, he was even talking and saying stuff. So, all right, just moving on. Yeah, I mean, what do you do with an agent of chaos who's moving up? Why would he want belts? I don't know. <laughs> all right. Ava talked to Obafemi earlier in the show. Um, he wanted to know who his next victim was. Uh Ilya Dragunov walked into the frame and had a very tantalizing face-to-face with him. Um, so could they do champion versus champion at Stand and Deliver? I mean, that would be that would be big for Obafemi. Uh, I think that tease might be what that was, and if so. Color me intrigued to see how that would go off, because we know Obafemi can get in there and do good stuff with the right guy, and Ilya is always the right guy. So that could be very, very tantalizing. Um, And Ilya said, we need to talk, which, of course, we talked about. Um, Later on, Obafemi uh, ran afoul of Brooks Jensen, who now is full of piss and vinegar and he wants to fight. And uh, he told Obafemi that he wanted a match. And Obafemi's like, are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> Which I just loved. Like, Obafemi wanted nothing more than a match. And then he had somebody challenge him. And he's like, come on, man. Uh, this is this is, this is is his character, man. This, this can be just who he is for the rest of his career. it's. I really think it's that good. Obviously, things will grow and change and develop, and he'll go through stories, but this can be his grounding character, and it will work as long as he looks like he looks, Bruce. And who's actually going to accept him where he's going to feel like he's actually threatened? I just... I, maybe Braun Strowman? Maybe? I, maybe Bronson Reed? 
But at this point, anybody that accepts him, I feel like I would have his exact reaction. I kind of just chuckle. So yeah, the whole Dragonoff thing, they glared at each other, and then Femi glanced at Dragonoff's title and then chuckled and walked away, like almost as if he looked like looked at that as I could get that whenever I want to, homie. You just you're holding that right now because I don't want to have it. That's kind of what I took from that. And I mean, yeah, he's just that cool. Uh, you know, I didn't think about that tease because the whole the whole main event scene with D'Angelo just threw me so much that I was still trying to figure out what the hell's going on. But that does make a lot of sense, which would lead me to believe that the D'Angelo Dragunov match, if it does indeed go that route, would be happening on a PLE light in between, or at least on TV and just being hyped as a strong main event. So now, like you said, it would be really big for Obafemi, a lot of trust put into him so early into his tenure. However, I, I just don't see why you don't strap the rocket to him. He, he's succeeded. He's excelled in every bit that they've asked him to be in thus far. And someone like Dragunov selling for Femi's offense, I, I'm right now I'm tantalizing. I'm not wrong about that because the slap to the chest, the beal across the ring, the big power bomb. Just, I feel like if if there's anyone in a big match setting to get over Femi and the threat that he is as a new champion, it will be someone like Dragunov selling the hell out of Femi's offense, getting beat red, just doing everything he can to to uh, really sell the effects of this big strong guy in Obafemi and and then you put the title on him and I feel like a double champion in NXT I know we've had that but I don't think it's been anyone where you just look at it like who the hell is gonna beat this guy because it's it, he just has the feeling where I'm going to have my title until I feel like I don't want it anymore. And then you all can have it back. And the whole thing with Brooks Jensen, like, yeah, you sure you want to get this ass whooping? Is pretty much what he asked. And when he told him, you're not going to be able to walk after I'm done with you, but okay, you get your match. But this is also another instance of a losing wrestler or a losing team getting thrust into the title picture. So I'm wondering where Josh Briggs was tonight because he's been such an integral part of the last few weeks and he's the one who defeated Josh or Burks Jensen last week. He maybe could have been the one to challenge, but if they have bigger plans for him, then I understand you don't want him to just be fodder for Oba Feb. So, yeah, it, Jensen, if he brings the same style that he showed against uh, Briggs last week to this match against Femi, then it should be a fun match. The, um, I guess... For me, it's Jensen, you're obviously going to lose. Are we starting a story now where you keep losing and you're trying to find yourself and that anger is what fuels you finally um, to achieve success? And then for Femi, what does this stopgap mean in your path to stand delivered? Are you going to be the one to face Ilya Dragunov? If so, keep planting those seeds next week and the week after leading up to, you know, through the match with D'Angelo because uh, presumably that's what we're, we're heading to. And then just... But with those seeds planted, we're all going to want to see that. So let it, that be happening. And then, as I said, 
if Oba Femi doesn't have a picture of himself like Ultima Dragon at the end of the year, then they're doing something wrong in NXT. So he should also, you know, become tag team champion on Sand and the Liver just for the hell of it because it's Oba Femi. The only two people really missing from this show were Josh Briggs and Fallon Henley, um, mm-hmm. which is wild because for the longest time, you were guaranteed that those two and <laughs> Brooks Jensen were going to be in a 15-minute segment where they were trying to save the youth center by organizing a bake sale. Like, it, there, there's just over and over with those guys in weird, dopey, infantile scenes. Whatever. Um... Weird dopey infantile. I guess uh, there was a match between Von Wagner and Lexus King. Um, <laughs> oh, I love the segues. Uh, you know, he got his heat back. He attacked Stone and Wagner afterwards. But Lexus King just lost to Von Wagner, man. <laughs> <laughs> to a leverage pin. Yeah, I don't. I don't know what else to say other than he's not. It was a match that happened on the show. Yes, it. Yeah, there's no denying that. We saw it. Um, <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah, I. I guess he's uh, Lexus King is not. We worried that they were going to try to shoehorn him into the main event picture. Uh-huh. And they did some talk stuff and some early stuff that made it seem like. They wanted to test this out, too. And they must have realized, yeah, we're like a year away from this, at the very least, with the best case scenario. Um, So, yeah, uh, that's all I'm going to do on that match. We get emails. This comes from JB. Hi, team. It's JB from Detroit. Number one, I'm surprised that NXT seems to be allowing Sean Spears to go by his AEW name and not revert back to Ty Dillinger like he was in his first NXT run. Also, is he going for a sociopathic type character? Because he's got that 100,000 yard stare look down pat. (laughs) Um, Yes, vacant. Uh, He, I'm going to say not surprising. I I would be surprised in an extreme Vince era if he came back with any other, not only name, but character. And Vince, even if he hired them, because of the value he was seeing them provide, he'd just stash them. He just wouldn't play with them. He'd he'd be perfectly fine to uh, to define them down and uh, and prove that his guys were better all along. Um, and that's what it would be if you were making him Ty Dillinger. That that gimmick has one of the lowest potential caps in all of wrestling. It just, it can't go high up the card. It it just cannot. Number two, I'm not sure that there's a wrestler more tailor-made for the Heritage Cup and Cup Rule matches than Charlie Dempsey. We agree, JB. Number three, how many names does Booker T forget per week on average? <laughs> I noticed that he seemingly forgot Joe Gacy's name tonight. He also said Luca Fino. Um, he's going to say Aquafina next week, I think. Um yeah. He also said, Is he tame? Is he tame? I was yeah. like, why does Booker T always sound like he's he's saying someone's name as a question to make sure he got it right? Yeah, he's he's like looking at Vic who's and nodding Vic, yeah. really hard. Um 
Number three, uh, number four is Mello versus Dragonoff next week, leading to a triple threat at Stand and Deliver when Trick interferes against Mello next week. I'd be very disappointed if we never get a Mello versus Trick singles match in NXT before one or both are up on the main roster. Do not worry about that. You will get uh-huh. it. Uh, then it gave me another number four. Was Tony D'Angelo mentioning <laughs> big business tonight, a reference to AEW? I doubt no. it. I, I don't... Yeah. Uh... In wrestling, the company that was well ahead, if they were well ahead, typically has not done a lot to acknowledge other companies. Like, there there can be little nods, little things, but WWE and WCW, when they were having the Monday Night Wars, if one of the sides was well ahead, they would do it less. Like, WCW did a little, a, a little more, because I think... Bischoff was so used to it <laughs> from doing it for so long when they were behind. Um, but it was way, way less when they were ahead because they were taking care of their own business. They didn't feel like they had to sling mud, which I would love to see the numbers. Did that ever change anything or did it just make them all look like idiots? Uh, anything on JB's points that I did not say? Um, no. No. He's not the greatest color man in the business for nothing, folks. Uh, Kevin, I have a broadcasting degree for a reason. <laughs> Kevin, <laughs> Kevin Catani. Salutations, gents. I hope this email finds you well. I feel like I'm living in a fantasy world. First podcast favorite, Dante Chen, shows up on last week's SmackDown. He did? I haven't watched! Yeah, I was at work, and I come back, and I get tweets from people saying, Dante Chen just debuted on SmackDown. I was like, oh, you got to be kidding me. I need to tweet so people can tweet me. I tweet so rarely <laughs> that people are like, he probably just won't see it. Um, which, true. Okay. Well, let's um, put it this way. I, I tweet like Dante MFing Chen maybe once a week at least. So, right. yeah. Yeah, I get a little of that. Um, <laughs> shows up on last week's SmackDown, and now we get the returning Perfect 10. Pitch me because I must be dreaming. Uh, you are dreaming uh, because the Perfect 10 is not no, back. No, no. Uh, part two said with moderate sarcasm and fear of Doc Bruce roasting me. That said, what is the play with Spears slash Dillinger? He never really took off on the main roster. Is he going to hang in NXT for a bit? Join a Cody crew? No. <laughs> Join <laughs> an existing... That was, Oh, I can't even imagine how bad that would be for Cody. Bring um, in Brandy. Bring in Arn. Let's just do the whole thing over. Join an existing NXT faction. Also, with all of the storylines in play right now, which one do you think is the freshest? And has the most potential direction heading into and through Mania season. Uh, Obafemi and Ilya Dragunov, to be honest. Aside um, from Mello and Trick. I mean, yeah. Well, yeah. That's, I feel like that doesn't count because it's too <laughs> obvious. Thanks, as always. Go VIP and listen to 8YB. Office hours are now over. The Professor, Kevin P. Catani, PhD. Anything else there, Bruce? As far as where Spears is going to go, I don't think he's going to be in any sort of, of stable. I think how he debuted and everything is going to be more – I'm not sure if sociopathic, but the man has three faces thing. I wonder if we're going to get kind of a multiple personalities situation here with him as opposed to a sociopathic character. Just more of a – what do they call it now? DID? I don't know what, what the actual clinical term is anymore, but that might be the route they go. Uh, and going back to, I think it was JB's email real quick. I feel like Sean Spears was the name he also used before he was in NXT. I, is it his real? Is it his government name? I'm not. 
I don't think it was just AEW where he's used. I that was name, thinking maybe so. it was. Um, I, I yeah. think that name was out there, but uh, let me look that up to see if we're um, making that up. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure that that Sean Spears was used before, and it might. Oh, it's be definitely not his real name. Ronnie okay, Arneal is name. his name. Ronnie. Okay. Well, I think Sean Spears was a name he used before NXT as well. So it's it's him kind of just. I think, as you said, Ty Dillinger. Just there, there's nowhere to go for that when you come back with that name and that character. So to come back with a name that is still associated with you, but at a different level, at a better level than you had with um, Ty Dillinger, I think was the right move for him. Again, though, I don't, I don't think he's going to get too much higher up the card because if he was going to, then he would have already done that in his multiple stops, both, you know, in NXT and AEW now back in NXT. I just don't think that, um, and, and he might be he might be aware of this and understand this that his position now is to be more of someone to be there to help people on the way up and eventually he I, I could see him sliding into a producer or a trainer role at the PC. Uh, yes, he was Sean Spears on the Indies. Uh, then I am I never love to admit this, but I saw every episode of ECWWE. Um. It was only an hour, so it was very easy to digest, and there were a handful of things that I'm really glad I saw. But it was mostly really stupid. Um, <laughs> and he was Gavin Spears there for a short time, oh. which I kind of remember. Um, so there you go. That is that. And one final email from Azan White. Hello, NXT gang. Number one, having spent two years in NXT, Charlie Dempsey finally got his big showcase moment. Where do you see his future with the cup? I'm just going to say, first of all, I'm shocked to learn that uh, it's been two years. <laughs> um, <laughs> I know he wasn't on TV for uh, for some of that. Um, I hope his future with the cup is bright. I worry that it will be marred by the catch clause. But even if it is, there's a way to have somebody else lose the cup that he fell, feels he should have had the right to lose. And he turns on the group and goes... Badass baby face. I could see that. Number two, there is a sense that Lexus King has been losing steam of late because he has been losing matches and more new people are taking over TV time like Sean Spears. I know he rebound. Uh, I know he'll rebound by late spring or summer. Yeah, I mean, at this point, he's a project. Um, any any heat that he had just from coming in is gone. He's He's just a guy now. So... He's a reclamation project a little bit, so uh, I don't know. I, I I feel like he's the kind of guy who, worst case scenario, it could be a Von Wagner scenario where they just keep kind of pushing him and kind of treating him as important, but then he never wins anything, so he never goes anywhere. To this day, Von Wagner is allowed to go to Raw or SmackDown anytime he pleases. He's one of the few guys who's on both shows. He just chooses not to, apparently. Number three, does LWO feel unnecessary in general in NXT when other teams like Hank and Tank, Reggie Crew, and your personal favorites, Boa and Dante Chen, never make it to TV from Azan in St. Louis? Uh, I'm not too hung up about that because LWO are very good, and these tag teams l learn a lot by taking on a very, very good in-ring tag team. Uh, Bruce? 
Well, that tag team also has a strong connection to NXT, after all. that That's where they were formed, and that's where they really had their run. They were tag team champion, after all. So, um, I'm not so upset, necessarily, about that aspect. To me, I think the Good Brothers is still more... It's still kind of the, the bigger issue to me if you're going to have a tag team come over. Um, and I forgot what I was going to say about the rest oh that's what it was now that i look at it um out of the tag teams he mentioned that could be getting more of a tv tower more of a push yes of course dante chen and bowl because we are the hugest dante chen fans and and that would just bring us joy and literal tears to our face to see dante chen as a champion but the one tag team i feel like that does belong in this situation even though again they just lost is otm that's the one tag team i feel like in nxt that that there is not just momentum behind them, but they have distinct characters, they have distinct identities, they have styles, they have uh, uh, what's the word? They already have a following behind them from fans too. So for me, I feel like that is the one team that I would rather have in the situation. And if I was going to take one team out of the situation, it will probably be uh, Chase U. And if not Chase U, then Fraser and Axiom, just because, again, I feel like uh, it's they, – they, I, I feel like they're kind of like uh, Katana Chance and and Kaden Carter back when they were faces, but they kept acting like heels week in and week out, and that's kind of what I get from Fraser and Axiom. So to me, if they could insert OTM – and maybe they're saving OTM for after Sand and Deliver – which will be fine with me, give them a little more time. The only issue is we're not seeing OTM actually in matches on NXT the past couple weeks, and I want to see them do more because they actually are interesting, right? Um, especially with the addition of Jada Parker. So I, I want more from them, but with the tag teams they have buying for the number one contendership right now, right? The Good Brothers, you have Chase U next week, you have Fraser and Axiom, you have LWO. Uh, I feel like, because we know Chase U is losing next week, I feel like we'll probably get a fatal four-way between these four teams to determine the number one contender, I stand and deliver. And then after stand and deliver, we'll have OTM reassert their presence as a, a uh, threatening tag team and go after those titles. And eventually, I think summertime, they might be ones to become new tag team champion. But that's also because I'm huge fans of OTM. Uh, surprisingly, I feel like Scripps has actually fit in okay with the team. I feel like Jada Parker definitely though is the person that took that team to the next t- took the stable to the next level. It almost seems like she is kind of the leader of the team when they're out there. They kind of stand behind her when all four of them are out there in the ring. So uh, I feel like this group has a lot of potential. And uh, if they're waiting to cash in on that because right now it's just not the time because people are just going to be fodder for the Wolf Dogs. Okay, I understand. But again, uh, OTM should should become tag team champion here within the next six months in my opinion all right folks i do believe that is our show i'm kelly wells you can find me on social media at spooky milk and uh i'll, I'll tweet you back i just won't tweet first <laughs> um i'm not i'm not an approacher of uh of humans um not my thing bruce how are you kind of weird for the person that is an actor to say that but uh i am bruce lee hazelwood you can find me on at B underscore Lee 253 and my report up for, uh, for tonight's show. And I am just glad that I do not have to recap an Asylum match and a Kabuki Warriors match next week. 
You know, you put me on stage, I never shut up. Um, <laughs> get me off stage. Uh, I'm just, I'm just diva, man. I'm turning up my nose, and that is that. I'm not. I, I don't want people to think that. Um, I'm approachable. I just won't do it first. Okay. We uh, next week we will be here with uh, my psychiatrist, and, <laughs> and okay, hopefully a shirted Nate. Oh. No promises, unfortunately. (laughs) All right, folks. (laughs) We will see you at Roadblock in seven. Cheers.